Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Test Tubes and Cauldrons, a podcast where we talk about the science behind spirituality. In this episode, we are going to be diving into tech witchcraft with with a very special guest of ours. But before we get into that, I'm going to pass it over to Hanny to do our What Happened on This Day. And it is currently July 10th. <laughs> Go ahead, Hanny. So July the 10th was the birthday of Nikola Tesla, who seems awfully appropriate for the topic of this episode. Tesla was a Serbian-American inventor and researcher who designed and built the first alternating current induction motor in 1883, which if you don't know, is a massive discovery for tech. He emigrated to the United States in 1884. Having discovered the benefits of a rotating magnetic field, the basis of most alternating current machinery, he expanded its use in dynamos, transformers, and motors. And we do one more quick announcement before we go ahead, which is that it's Fel's birthday in a couple of days, so happy early birthday to Fel. Happy <laughs> birthday. Have a good time. Yeah. Okay, great. So like I said, we're talking about tech witchcraft today, and we brought on a good friend of ours, Nike, the warrior witch Nike. So Nike, do you want to introduce yourself really quickly and say hello? Hello, I'm Nike. Um, <laughs> I've been friends with Astra for a long time. Uh, I guess maybe people want to know about my practice. I do mostly folk stuff. It's sort of like an eclectic mix of folk stuff that mixes American folk traditions, Hellenic paganism, and more more recently, more seriously, the Norse pagan stuff. So I do a, a whole mix, but I do also do astrology, which will come up later in the episode. And so as would be on track for the episode you know technology comes into play in my practice a fair amount so it'll be fun to be able to talk about it with you guys yeah we're so happy to have you so thank you so much for coming on let's just go ahead and dive right in and talk about tech magic and whether or not there's a precedence for this in history I had a really interesting time looking back at this and seeing where I could if I could figure out where it started and technology specifically though it comes across as quite new the idea of utilizing technology in magic or even seeing tech items as having their own, you know, quote unquote, pseudo spirits, it's not such a new concept. In fact, Eric Davis first coined the term techno-paganism in 1998 when he released his book Technosis, Myth, Magic, and Mysticism in the Age of Information. Now, I haven't read this book myself, but from skimming through a couple of chapters, it is on script if anybody has that and they want to look through it. It appears that Davis tries to connect mystical religion with technology. Had anybody else ever heard this term? I, When I came across that, I was like, huh, so interesting. Yeah, I've definitely heard of technopaganism, but I often hear it in like a sci-fi context. And I guess this will come up later. Like a lot of this kind of science fiction gets blended with magic in quite interesting ways. I've heard technopaganism before. Definitely not technosis, which I think is a, a great blending of words. I usually hear it more for things like emoji spells and the sigil generators and things like that, where they start to blend their practice with digital things specifically, but I think that people sort of forget that technology isn't just things that are electronic, like computers and iPhones and stuff like that. The concept of using technology is way, 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 way older than just what we think of. So yeah, one of the things, like I, I'm a new media major, or was, which I've brought up before, which is very much like the intersection of art and technology and like science and, and art. And one of the things that they would sort of drive home in our classes was like, everything is technology. Your watch is technology. It's not just electronics. It's analog things. An analog camera is technology. So that was something that they super drived home that like technology is not just like your phone and 
your computer. Like one could argue that astronomical clocks are definitely technology. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, if we take kind of that definition of technology as being something that's even outside of electronics, we could say that the use of devices like sundials or distillation equipment um, constitute the use of technology, even if it's not what we jump to when we think about it today. And last week, specifically, we spoke about spiritualism and the paranormal, which if you haven't gone to listen to the episode, I encourage you to. It was quite fun. And while not strictly a cold, they also use technology like electromagnetic fields, temperature probes, you know, so on and so forth to create spiritual experiences. And it's probably relatively accurate to say that the Industrial Revolution played a large part in this. But again, you can listen to last week's episode for more. With rapid manufacturing and industrial advancement, putting tech in people's hands, ready for occultists to utilize in their own practices. But like we kind of mentioned, in the last decade or so, with technology becoming an industrial boom and constantly evolving, tech magic has become almost its own paradigm. And some might even say it's an offshoot of chaos magic, but I think that depends on the practitioner. What's interesting to me is I think that the key differential between techno-paganism and tech magic is that one seems to be a little bit more religious, at least if we base this off of Davis's terminology, seeing technology as things that can have spirits or a similarity to that. For example, I know um, Eric Davis and he had a chapter on the alchemical fire, and he compared that to electricity, which I thought was an interesting concept. Essentially that relation of technology to ancient mystic ideas versus tech magic, which seems to me to have a more modern and practical approach to it. What is tech magic to you? Like, how would you define it? That's a hard one because I I don't really have like a specific definition for tech magic. I usually, when I reference tech magic, I usually mean using electronics for things versus what technology is classically considered. So usually it's like using apps or random number generators or digital grimoires, things like that. I don't so much use the sigil generators myself, but I know a lot of people get a lot of use out of it. Uh, And some people, it's more rare, but I have seen people talk about doing spells entirely digitally or one of the concepts I've seen is sort of mixing classical things with current technology, which would be digital altar spaces so like they have a dedicated I I saw this a lot on Tumblr a dedicated Tumblr blog to like an altar for Athena or an altar for Aphrodite and that's where they leave offerings of poetry or they they might write their thoughts or pictures that remind them of that deity so for me I usually see it more in just blending more often than not a pagan practice specifically with electronic technology. I found um, a really interesting definition online, which doesn't just include using tech as a tool, which is kind of what you described, but also using the computer as a kind of medium through which you can gain results. And it kind of sums this up into four variables. So that's calculation, animation, automation, and representation. So the calculation would be things like transforming variables into useful outputs, might be astrology divination, to ensoul something or to bring it to life with animation to automate responses like a servitor or a spell would, and then represent or create new worlds and paradigms that we couldn't create outside the digital realm. So that might be, I don't know, even making a server in Minecraft or making something in Photoshop, but to represent something that you just couldn't really do in another way. Um, And I thought that was really interesting because it it brings up a lot of ideas as the digital as inherently mystical as opposed to used as a tool. And I think that's more of a kind of 
chaos magic paradigm, but um, I thought it was an interesting perspective. Yeah, Hanny, it's really interesting you bring that up because I have definitely, like, I, I mean, I have friends who have, like, altar spaces and stuff that are in their Minecraft servers because they can't have one maybe inside their home or apartment due to religious family or whatever the case may be. And I actually think it's a very brilliant way to continue your practice um, utilizing technology. And so it is true that technology in, in a way can be inherently mystical and really useful, actually, to incorporate into your craft in lots of different ways. Before we kind of move on, I'll summarize this next section as saying that we cover a couple of different topics that maybe fall into the realm of tech magic, and so you'll hear more as we go through them all. So we're just actually going to jump right in and talk about things that we consider tech magic or that might be able to be used in a tech magic sense. The first thing is machine learning, so aka the algorithm that we all talk about. <laughs> so first, let's kind of talk about what an al- like what machine learning is and how that's utilized maybe outside of magic, and then we can pop into how it's used within. So there's a lot of mystique around machine learning, a lot of hype, um, not just in the magical world, but just in general. Um, overhype, what some would say. So an algorithm is just any process or set of rules that are used in computational decision-making. But oftentimes, this might involve machine learning, which is a specific type of algorithm. Um, so how it actually works is you give your model a training set, and then you use a statistical model of some kind to tra- uh, train it based on the outcomes you're interested in. So that statistical model could be anything. It can be uh, elastic nets, random forests, neural nets. I'm not going to go into all of these because it would be lots of maths, and I'm not very good at maths. Um, lots of them are just re- linear gr- regression, uh, it's sort of fancily dressed up. Basically, ideally, you choose a model based on how it fits your data the best using a process called spot checking. Although this best practice is not necessarily always done, so if you are actually applying this in tech magic, it's something I would urge you to check out first. There are also some really interesting statistical models called adversarial neural nets, which kind of bring up a bit of philosophy, I guess. And this is where you're basically getting the algorithm to argue with itself. So you've got two models. The model A makes your features from your data set, and then model B ranks how good it thinks your features are. So model B is like, actually, I don't think your output's good enough. You need to generate another output. And it does that until um, you have your desired effect. Once you have got your model, you rank them based on how much error you get from your training set. And then you can actually move on to using your test data for it. So I'm bringing this up because I want to mention that machine learning is heavily biased to your training set. So this is why we have issues with like racist algorithms. The, the algorithm itself is not racist, but it's being trained on data sets which have inherent bias. And this is something that's really important to bear in mind. Um, if you're thinking of using this in your practice, you really need to choose a data set which is representative and useful and it's going to give you the results you want. Yeah, otherwise you could get end up with some unexpected results. Well, the point about the racist by outcome algorithms is interesting and important. I know that for some people, part of technomancy, technomagic is in a sense using the algorithms to like they'll they'll ask a, it's kind of like bibliomancy right you'll ask a question and then say you refresh your for you page on tiktok and that's supposed to be your answer or you do the the random wikipedia page search that kind of thing the tiktok algorithm is known for being programmed in a way that is definitely kind of racist and you would have to know that and keep it in mind simultaneously in order to try to help curate your for you page in a way that would help you to be able to do this so if you want to have an even spread you may have to specifically set that up beforehand by adding in more black creators more native creators more asian creators more hispanic creators you'd have to choose more heavy influence on that rather than trying to do equally because if an algorithm is set up to be in a sense racist by outcome you do have to train it to make it even so a lot of it will take more diving into people who are like social media presences, people that are not involved in this in any way, but people who know how to work with the algorithm 
for the sake of generating content and becoming popular and knowing how it works, you're going to have to do a lot more research into that because they're going to be set up with these inherent biases because they're made by people ultimately. Yeah, that's such a good point. It's, it's, I think people think, oh, computers, they can't be biased, but there is so, so much thought that really has to go into it because like you say, they're made by people, they're made by societies that have racist biases, unfortunately. So that's something that we all have to bear in mind. Yeah, I mean, algorithms are generated by people, like Nikki mentioned. And so we still have biases, even in developing what we consider to be a neutral algorithm. There really is no such thing because everybody is going to bring their own personal bias into whatever trainings that they utilize to generate this algorithm. We have to keep that in mind. It's also something else where it's so interesting when people use, like they refresh their For You page and something will come up and they'll take that as like a sign from a deity or something. I always kind of giggle at that a little bit because... Your, the things that you search on the web and all of that ha- also has an influence on social media. The like the algorithms are, are designed to show you things based on things that you've expressed interest in, even on their websites. And so you need to take that into account as well when, it's, when it comes to looking for signs. Like really using doing that through technology is probably not the best way to, to do so. Let's maybe talk about the difference between AI and machine learning. So AI is really any computational decision-making, whereas machine learning is more of a process by feeding them a particular training set. But AI pretty frequently refers to independent decision-making and algorithms which mimic humans. Some occultists have argued that this allows for the making of a homunculus of sorts, (laughs) Um, a workable spirit. So I guess my question is, do you agree with that? And have you used anything like that in a working before? I will say that AIs, again, to me, it's not necessarily like a workable spirit. I think of them probably more in a chaos magic paradigm as like a type of servitor more than I do an actual spirit. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. I'm inclined to agree. I I think it's because when we're thinking of like, does it have a spirit? What can you consider it? I think spirits are more independent, um, more sort of organic in a sense. I think ultimately because they have to be programmed and in the end they are still ultimately a thing designed by humans by choice rather than a thing that comes about through nature and like calling down from the divine or, or however you view creation. I don't think it can ever truly be alive in the sense of having spirit. I think it ultimately will always come down to being something similar to a servitor yeah (laughs) i had a lot to say about this so i mean i so one of my friends is philosopher getting masters in theology and he was having an argument with one of my other friends who's a programmer and he was saying his argument was that the artificial intelligence is a misnomer because it is not actually intelligent and there there is Sometimes artificial intelligence is kind of used by corporations to not take responsibility for things that their programs do. This is interesting. In our outline, there were some points of of disagreement here. So I guess we can have that discussion. So I brought up the Turing test, which is not like the only, there's like so many tests for intelligence. But to me, the test for an intelligent, independent being would be something that mimics natural or human intelligence which means like instinct intentional decision making and morality things like that to me would be a signify signify to me something that is truly intelligent in that regard i don't think that ai at least in this stage can have a spirit that is not like attached to it i think perhaps you could attach spirit or something like nike said like something like a servitor but at this stage i don't think 
computers are truly intelligent. Just because it simulates consciousness does not make it truly conscious, in my opinion. I think it depends what you're using it for. I, I had a discussion with my, with my partner who, who he used to work at a, a company um, working with AI, but um, he quit his job and is now having a much more fun time. <laughs> so I came in, I was like, hey, I want to talk about AI. And he was uh, notably disappointed. <laughs> we were talking about the Turing test, which he brought up. And um, it's basically, it's a test where uh, you're effectively trying to fool the human with your algorithm. Like, will the person believe that um, they're speaking to another person? And it seems like every year there's somebody who comes and says, oh, we've broken the Turing test. And then the the kind of next year they, they debunk it. Some people argue that the Turing test isn't really a very good test because it is kind of subjective in nature. It depends on the person judging, which is why at formalized events you'll have panels of judging. And obviously we already have bots out there which are deceiving people on a daily basis. They have people people fooled into thinking they're talking with another person. So you could argue that if something is deceptive enough for the application you need it for, maybe it's already functional enough to use for working. But whether that meets the conditions of spirit, that's not the case. I bring this up because um, I found on this technomancy blog, which is really interesting, I highly recommend having a look if you're interested in this topic, is this idea of sleight of mind. So I'll just read this quote because I think it illustrates it more better than I can say. The technomancer as tinkerer must know such things, but cleverness and elegance design aside, they're usually more trivializing than enchanting as they reduce the system being interacted to, to just a machine. So that's no, no different to seeing magic wand as just a stick or a sigil as just a doodle. The technomancer as sorcerer must allow herself to be charmed by the illusion, to be open to and stay what's apparent to her senses and what she feels about that. Even if on a logical level, you don't believe that there is an intelligence or spirit there, there's this kind of chaos magic-y idea that believing it and applying that sleight of mind will allow it to be true. And I, I just thought that was really, really interesting. So maybe it's the application that matters more than the actual inherent bias of the system. Does that make sense? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because I thought it was a bit mind blowing. <laughs> That's really interesting. I, I was just thinking about how like, you know, everyone has gotten mad when the TV has like turned off randomly or if you're playing a video game and a character beats you, you get you don't get mad. At, you're just kind of mad at the thing you're like that's unfair as if the computer has any morality to it so I think that's kind of interesting this light of mind because I feel like we all do that on a daily basis you know like I get mad at my phone if it I get mad at autocorrect if it does something it's like autocorrect isn't morally doing anything wrong if in my programming classes the the professor would always say if the program doesn't work it's your fault he's like don't get mad at the computer it's doing exactly what you tell it to it's it's on the onus of the human but i think that is interesting that we do put a lot of these emotions towards technology like i name my, my computer has a name i don't like actually call it, it that name but it's like i give it a name in the in its file so that way like i know what i'm looking for um and like when i got my new computer i was like wow it's you're so beautiful you're wonderful i love you uh, or like we decorate them with things like i have a wonderful nice background on my computer so perhaps there is actually something to that with the energy that we put towards technology, even though we all know logically that technology is not actually doing anything to us because it's like making a decision. Um, it could be chance. It could be whatever. Do you think? Do you think you could formally install a computer or an algorithm like you could with a you could with like a statue or something or a puppet? I I think so because you know a puppet is not inherently alive any more than anything else is, and you instill it with a, a soul of its own. I think you could in a way. It kind of reminds me of um, 
when if any of you guys have played The Sims, you might know where I'm. <laughs> yep, where you name so you make a sim and you name it after somebody and you like take out all your frustrations on them. I imagine you could use that as a concept in technomancy if you're a person who's inclined towards baneful magic. You could probably use that to your advantage in a certain way. So I, I think in a way it'd be a similar concept. That's an amazing idea. I'm writing that down. It's like, I can't get out of the pool for some Sim reason. Where's the ladder gone? <laughs> right? Sim poppets. Like, listen, Sim if you would burn your poppet, you just burn the Sim down in a house fire. I mean, oh you know. Gosh. The Sims are the perfect <laughs> sympathetic magic. Yes. Yeah, that's such a great idea. Wow. My mind, hold on, wow. I'm like, my mind is blown. Can't you give them specific birthdays too? Am I wrong? Can, in the first Sims, you could use astrological signs. So that's something you want to do. Okay. The very first Sims, you can give them astrological signs. Actually, Excellent. I think Sims 2, they have astrological signs. I just don't remember what any of the more modern ones have. Like if they do specific birthdays or if it's just... They don't do birthdays anymore, I don't think. Boo. Um, you can that would have been helpful. Lots of traits. But yeah, Sims 1 and Sims 2, you can give them as astrological signs. I love um, that. For anyone out there. <laughs> Wild. I do think a lot of this, so the idea of like AI definitely lends itself toward the idea of like a servitor creation, right? This this thing that seemingly has a consciousness outside of ourselves, even if it is like, it, again, it fits very well within the chaos paradigm because it's the creation of something that like logically, you know, how the, what the computer is doing or how it's reacting is based on reaction to input in some manner but it almost like it almost like it has its own consciousness outside of you but like also it doesn't that's kind of dependent upon like what you feed into it right i mean i do know computer techs who would swear by the fact that if you say nice things to your computer it will work better <laughs> people swear by that and so i do think that there's something to be said there but it definitely fits more into like the servitor chaos magic paradigm in my opinion than it does probably anything else but it could be very well utilized. I'm not a scientist, so correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't there a thing where like some labs will have, obviously it's a story online, so I don't know how true it is, but there's a story I was reading about a person who works in a lab and they were like, yeah, the when, when we get new people and we tell them that plushie over there by that machine, do not touch it. That plushie belongs to that machine. If you take it away, everything breaks. You leave this here, you give them snacks. Like they're basically giving offerings to this inanimate object for it to work better and it seems with enough trial and error to be consistent enough that they keep things there and they they like do not move it you give them these snacks every day or what whatever it is it it feels like that similar concept is that a thing that for any 100 confirm 100 confirm yeah. um, yeah, you yes. want to talk about your britney <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um i actually i work in a, an in institute so our lab is like in a bay of lots of other labs and I can walk up and down the corridor and I'll maybe post some pictures on the discord server each lab has like a different icon so there's a malaria lab that has like a, a wooden elephant the the virology lab has all these named racks with amazing puns on uh, we have Brittany in our lab so like a cult of, of uh, a little figurine of Brittany Spears and like lots of pictures of Brittany <laughs> and um, we put work bitch on all the experiments that we want to work really well <laughs> Um, there's the, there's downstairs. I have to show you because it's really honestly a thing. And people are also very superstitious about their machines. They're like, this machine's evil. We've got a little angry face and googly eyes on the PCR machine that we believe is evil because it doesn't doesn't work as well for some reason. It's one hundred percent a thing. You think you think we'd be logical scientists, but we're not. <laughs> it's definitely a thing. We um back up when I worked at in academia, our laboratory, we bought so we work with like different bacterial strains to mass produce proteins. 
and we would buy, there's like that site that you can buy like microbiology plushies from. So we would buy them and we suck, like we would buy each um, plushie for the respective bacteria that we were using. I would stick it on top of the incubators that we put these plates in to like give them a friend because if they like weren't alone, they had a friend, they would be more likely to grow. And it, it worked. I swear to God, it works. Like as soon as those plushies like fell behind something or they left the incubator, then shit like would stop growing. And I was like, well, there's no reason why this is happening. Yes, we are definitely superstitious. We do think that our <laughs> machines and stuff like have some kind of consciousness and they hate us unless we give them things. It's definitely a thing. When Jack Parsons would read, I, I won't have this exactly right, Georgina would know better than I would, but I'm pretty sure Jack Parsons, who worked on rockets and stuff, he would do, I think, a hymn to Pan. He'd, he'd do some sort of pagan prayer before every rocket launch as, you know, his because in part he was pagan, but also just like the superstition of helping it go better. I have to give that a try for my experiments, actually. <laughs> I'm going to start praying beforehand. I'm, I'm telling you, okay, actually, I have a story related to this. So, as you guys may know, Georgina came to visit me a couple weeks back, and my phone has this weird glitch where I use Google Maps because Apple Maps sucks, and sometimes when I try to go somewhere, I'll get everything in, I'll have the location ready to go, and the second I hit start, the program freezes. And I would have I had this issue all weekend while she was here, like she watched it happen, and on the way to the airport, I was I told her, look, I don't know if this is gonna work. We may have to pull out your phone at some point to have your phone do the directions instead. It's really annoying. It's a whole thing. She'd watched this not work all weekend. There's no rhyme or reason to make it work right. She goes, I've got you. I have a solution. She reads the Orphic Hymn to Mercury, and it starts working. I was able to like she yes. reads it out in the car. I pull up my phone, get the location, hit start, and That's it amazing. works. And we're just like. Ah, it like 100% Orphic hymns. If you're having tech issues, read the Orphic hymn to Mercury. I swear. No, that shit works. 100%. Yes. I mean, so I guess like the ultimate question then is whether we consider AI to be alive or to have consciousness. And Bell has a bunch of stuff in the outline about whether like what life is. And scientifically speaking, AIs aren't living because the the like most obvious one to me is that they can't replicate by themselves, right? Like, right. We can't, you know, propagate whatever by themselves. They require somebody else. I don't know. Is the scientific definition of life the only thing we should go by or? I mean, so I think, so I actually did a, I'll read the, the what characteristics of life. I'll read them out really quick. Just so people, there's like seven roughly, obviously that's debated. So homeostasis. So the ability to sort of maintain your internal environment, like sweating, breathing heavily, panting in dogs. Organization, being structurally composed of one or more cells. Metabolism, transformation of energy by converting chemicals and energy into cellular components. Growth, a growing organism increases in size and all of its parts rather than simply accumulating matter. Adaptation, the ability to change over time in response to the environment. Response to stimuli, so this can be like when a plant goes towards the sun um, or just a, a reaction. And reproduction, the ability to produce new individual organisms. So during my, what, senior year of college, I actually did a thought experiment as part of one of my projects between like balancing tech and art. One of them was exploring these ideas of can an AI ever meet these requirements? And I, I posited that yes, depending on how tightly you hold these definitions. I don't think any AI can currently, I will amend and say that. One could argue that you could build an AI to have homeostasis of some kinds, build them out of some sort of things that mimic cells, 
metabolism is does energy count as metabolism like gasoline or maybe it's uh, if it's powered by the sun like if you make it a solar ai could that be considered metabolism i have a non-scientist question do you need all seven of these to be considered life i mean it's a debate but it is, this is what we're gonna bring up yeah well, the like, only one i could see like you know for for human beings number seven is reproduction we know that there are infertile people just by nature so if you don't have the capability of reproduction as an individual, does that mean that you get points knocked off for not being living? I think it's generally your species. Okay, like it has to be species-wide without with exceptions here and there. Right, and reproduction can be done like sexually or asexually, depending. Um, like a rock does not meet the requirements for life. Yeah, so I think that one could, if you, if you really sit down and think about it, I think you could come up with ways to sort of, I think it's fun to think about how AI could like skirt around this. AI could skirt around the reproduction thing if you think about robots building other robots. That is true. That that is a very good a very good argument. So I definitely think that one could make something. I don't think it's possible with the tech we have now, but I think it theoretically speaking can be possible. If think if you move things maybe more in like a tech direction, like if you took the seven characteristics of life and like made them more applicable to technology, you might actually be able to fulfill them. I mean, metabolism, we can talk about electricity being the, like, kind of main um, energy equivalent of, like, cellular ATP for functionality within a computer. Reproduction, yeah, building other robots, like, that could totally be a thing. Organization, I mean, the computers do have to be organized. They have specific parts required to function, and so on and so forth. So it would be interesting to maybe consider taking those and making them more technology inspired and seeing if you could apply those and make them applicable yeah i think you could argue that all of these could be subverted by ai to some extent like there's code that writes code the compilers technically generate code ais can write code so they can reproduce and i also wanted to mention viruses because a lot of people do consider them to be alive it's kind of a matter of debate but they don't fit all of these they for example they don't increase in size necessarily they they just reproduce you okay you could say that they do increase in size because they start as smaller metabolites right you start with a viral mrna and then get reverse transcribed and you have all the individual parts coming together to form a fully fledged virus they don't increase in size from outside of that but they do in a way i don't think viruses are alive but i do think that's debatable i think a lot of virologists do think they're alive and also, like, if you're, if you depend on something, if you're, like, for example, if you're obligate intracellular, so you're like a bacteria that lives inside a cell or you're a virus that lives inside a cell, are you alive? Because no, yes, you are, but you're depending on something else. Like you're, if you're, you're kind of parasitically in the same way that an AI could not exist outside of its computational compound. Does that make sense? But parasitic organisms that are alive exist. So being a parasite, I don't think would necessarily put you out of the running for being alive just for being a parasite. Exactly, right? So they're kind of, I think you can subvert some of these by arguing that, yeah, we do have living creatures, which which maybe subvert some of these arbitrary rules. I won't go into my thoughts here because we'll get into a very long debate. <laughs> we should stay on topic. So then let's talk about the different applications um, and how we see tech magic used in the real world. We already talked about using a pop, like a Sims person as a puppet, which I think is freaking brilliant. And I know Fel's going to steal that idea and I might also steal that idea. But let's talk about other potential ways to use it. I know Nike, when we talked, you went discussing to bring up the topic of emoji spells. So now is your go ahead. <laughs> so 
for those of you who don't know what emoji spells are, they're spells using emojis. Wow, so complicated. Basically, it's, I would put it closer to using sigils in a sense. And there's debate online, mostly because it's new and associated with younger girls and sexism in the magic space is a whole thing. But there are arguments about whether or not emoji spells count as magic, if they count as spell work, if they count as sigils, and how they do or don't fit into those certain categories. And I have some very strong opinions that have actually changed over time. I had to work through some of that internalized misogyny regarding young girls on the internet and Tumblr and some of that. But I I don't regard emoji spells as spells. I regard them as closer to a sigil, but I don't use them for the same reason that I don't use pre-generated uh, sigils. Because for me personally, in my practice, I feel that it's better for me and more potent for me to make them myself, e even if I would get the same result, to draw them out myself by hand and do the work of figuring it out is in a sense to my mind different than just saying okay go give 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 me the result and it's the same thing with emojis but for a different reason it's pre-made preset symbols with predetermined colors shapes uh figures specific things that are chosen like if you use flower or bus the way the bus would look as an emoji may look different than what you consider to be a bus and so all these things are not going to be exactly as you need them now you could do photo manipulation but Emojis pure as they are in just pure text form. I think they could be in the same category as sigils. I just don't use them for my own personal reasons. I think it's an interesting possibility, but I think my biggest issue with emoji spells is that there's only there's a level of specificity that you reach and you cannot extend past it, right? Like you're entirely based off of what emojis are available to you. And even then, let's say that you do have all the emojis available that you need. Um, again, it only paints a very basic story and the reason why i think this is an issue is like you see those games where they'll have like emojis and be like you know guess what movie this is or guess like what quote this might be and so on and so forth and people get them wrong just as much as they get them right and so i think that lack of specificity might actually impact one's spell work and so you would have to do something additionally to maybe enhance that and so i don't think by themselves they would work very well i've never personally tried because i'm Quite frankly, my time is limited and I do things that I know work. But I like that's that's a critique that I might have of them. I'd be interested to maybe try them one day, but I think that's the biggest problem that I have. I feel like for me, I'm just never sure. Like I I did I will preface this by saying I have done emoji spells. Like I did whatever that stuff back when I was on Witch Blur and all of that stuff. Um uh, and I don't really think I had any results from them, but like there's no harm. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't really see that. And like, you know, people make fun of the like to charge, reblog to cast. Well, that's silly. Like there is some level of putting a certain kind of energy into that. So I don't think it's a very like strong or powerful. Like, I think you like Esther kind of said, I think you're I think your time is probably better spent elsewhere. But I don't think it's necessarily like a, a bad thing. I feel like there's potential there, but I feel like it's not very well explored. How do you actually like cast them? Like I guess the reblog to cast or like sending that in a text message, but then does that only affect the person you text? I just don't see it really happening on like um a macrocosmic level. Like I feel like there's some sort of barrier there i don't know maybe if we thought about it more i'm because i was just thinking right now like you could utilize it more in a sympathetic manner right so maybe if somebody is like 
looking for a job and you want to send them good wishes for that. Maybe you utilize emoji and kind of like just charge it in the moment as like a goodwill kind of thing. So you can send them like money bags or whatever um, reminds you of, you know, getting a job or having money. And that couldn't, I don't know, it might be more so like a charm rather than an actual spell, but that could be a way to use them. Hanny, what do you think? I think I'm, I don't do a lot of spell work. I think I'm more kind of mystically inclined, if you like. So I do a lot more kind of uh, ritual devotional work. But a lot of things for me are very involved in kind of tactile or factory. So I use a lot of herbs, um, the way they smell, the way things sound. And emoji spells are lacking in, um, in that for me. So that's why I would never use one, because I feel like getting into the right mindset is just as important. And simply just tapping away on my phone, you know, something I can do kind of literally every day doesn't feel like it would be beneficial for me personally. But that's just my personal practice. I, I don't know that it speaks to their usefulness more generally. What about crypto? What do you think about using crypto as a part of tech magic? I still don't know how one would use crypto in tech magic. You, I, I still hold by my opinion. I think you can use magic for crypto. I don't think you can use crypto for magic, or at least I can't conceptualize any real way how. I struggle so much to understand crypto technology and i've had like so many people explain it to me like seventy five thousand times it feels like a, some sort of mystical nonsense um i mean that's kind of what it is i yeah i also don't really see it'd be like that'd be like using the stock market for magic how does that exactly work are you associating i don't know facebook stocks with communication but like that also doesn't really make any sense because yeah i i feel like it makes about as much sense as using like the stock market for magic it it doesn't make sense to me yeah i don't know a lot about like crypto and cryptocurrency but from what i do know i really don't see like the point i also think it's really misleading to say that like you had like in order to be and evolving i saw this on tiktok like someone who was like you're not a real practitioner unless you use like crypto and i was just like what like what does that even mean and it's honestly awful that like someone would say that because in many ways it forces people who have no knowledge about what this is to get into something without the resources that they need to be successful and like everybody else has said like i really don't understand like i don't see how crypto would help you like if it was more of just like like playing the stock market on like an online thing that didn't deal with like real money maybe you could use that as some form of like sympathetic magic but you're using real money like i really don't see how like they wouldn't even fit within the realm of sympathetic magic because you're utilizing your own money for it right i think and we don't have to stick on this very long i think that the notion that you should or must like to say that there is sort of a push maybe not a need but a you ought to be doing this almost like a guilt is an incredibly classist statement considering that a lot of folk magic in particular was magic of the people usually poor people usually disenfranchised people people that won't have enough money to get into crypto because i've run the numbers before i got into this for a short while and started looking at some of it and there was a guy talking about you want this percent in a day to make the right profits to be able to make a living on this and he didn't show how much he was trading with but i calculated it and he was trading with a hundred thousand dollars at a time Who's going to have even a tenth of that to trade with at any given, even 1% of that? I don't have $1,000 to just play with willy-nilly and go, oops, I lost it all. I, I think it's a weird thing to try to say that crypto is necessary for magic in some form. 
Yeah. Also, my brain don't work good. So trying to understand crypto, it's like banging my head against the wall. Numbers go up <laughs> and numbers go down. That's yeah. about as much as I've got. <laughs> This is not crypto, but it is crypto adjacent, uh, non-fungible tokens, aka NFTs. I know somebody, I don't know how it works, I'm really sorry, but they, they have NFTs which are kind of themed on various esoteric things. Um, I think they're tarot themed, actually. And I think the idea is that it will encourage people to buy them or it they're like sigils that are viable i don't quite understand so that but i guess that's one application maybe you're making something that's completely unique for people to purchase and then that's designed or it's it's assigned just to you but i don't really see it as very compelling that being said if it works for them it works for them um it's bad for the environment so uh, it's not something that i will be engaging in but but there are things you can do i just i'm not sure how i'm convinced how convinced i am by them yeah, so let's let's go back and touch on the magical or like the sigil generators online stuff. I know Nike, you gave your opinion on that a little bit earlier. I'm very much in the same boat as <laughs> I I prefer to draw my sigils by myself, and part of the reason is because I in, I like knowing kind of the method that took me from point A to my initial statement of intent or the you know instructions for my for my will to the generation of the actual sigil, and I like being able to recall kind of how that happened i think my issue with the online sigil generators is a i don't really like how they look so like <laughs> there's that but b i also like i when i make sigils i utilize the planetary commands all of the time and i don't think you can do that on the sigil generators online i don't know what command they use probably saturn if we're going by classical like sigil generation but it cut it just removes the your ability to be very creative with your sigils i think and i'm not a huge fan of that also i don't really quite understand the purpose because you can do a sigil with nothing i mean nothing or just a pen and paper like you don't really need anything fancy so i don't really kind of get the point when you can just do it yourself in like five minutes but that's personal opinion in terms of sigils yeah i mean i only just Start, I've talked about this before. Like, I really just started understanding where on earth people were getting their like sigil making stuff from because no one ever, no one ever says exactly. Like, you just say the Saturn square, and then they're like, and then there's other planets, and that's it. And I'm like, but where? But what? But why? <laughs> so I finally, I finally just got a, my head around that. I, yeah, I just don't see why you wouldn't make your own unless you're like doing it to like print it in a code and like I don't know, get some jewelry made out of it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't really see the point, but. Um, I can see how some people might want to, if they're like really desperate or like doing like the emergency want protection and they're not like f super familiar with the uh, Kamea squares, like maybe then doing an online social generator. But yeah, so I can see it in that if you're like in a pinch and you're not like super used to it. There are things, I suppose, we're going back to this concept of representation, which I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. And I don't really think these get utilized at all, but you could make sigils in so many more varied ways than you could make on paper. For example, you could make them three-dimensional, you could make them changing colors, you could um, make them uh, so you hover over them and they're interactive. There are so many things that you could do with them that I don't see people do. And I think that there's just capacity that is not being explored, or maybe I'm just not, I have missed it in my research. But in terms of just the sigils themselves, um, I, they're useful for people like me who are not very artistic, but um, I don't otherwise really see the point. What about online divination? So this is like a classical thing that we see a lot with new practitioners, right? We have these online um, computer generated like tarot decks and stuff that you can input a question and it like gives out cards. Um, I like when I first began in 
kind of studying the occult and witchcraft, I used an online um, computer-generated divination for probably about the first year of my craft before I was actually able to purchase a tarot deck. And I thought it was very interesting because I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing, but I do think that there's something about connecting personally with your deck because I found that after a year of using a computer-generated divination, my results from that were very, very different and much less personal than the results that I obtained when I actually like played with the cards and laid them out in front of me and chose them and like went through the entire process. And so like, it's definitely, if you don't have a tarot deck and computer generated divination is your, the only thing you can do right now, then by all means, like it's better than nothing. Um, but I do think that there's, there must be something more there because I definitely connected better when I was personally and like physically doing divination than I ever did using computer generated. So what are all of your thoughts on that? I use it a lot. The main reason is that I am an extremely indecisive person. And despite using tarot for a number of years, I still have not been able to decide on and connect to a deck. I think it kind of depends on how you think the divination works. So I think if you believe that the cards themselves have some kind of spirit, um, or you really feel that you need to connect in that tactile way to your tarot cards, then yeah, it's not going to work for you. Like some bots you can use will actually give you a different deck. And maybe that just gives you some additional symbolism to play with because you're not working with a single deck. You're actually able to apply it in many different ways. It really depends on, I think, your your personal view on how divination works. Maybe one day I will find the deck for me and I'll <laughs> change my mind. Personally, I think that digital tarot decks work well enough. Uh, and especially for those in the broom closet or without a lot of money, it can be a great resource. I personally will always prefer a physical deck. There, There's something I can't quite describe about the physicality of the cards themselves and being able to touch them with your own hands and put your own energy into them. Some people charge them with things like crystals. There's something about that to me that works better consistently with physical decks. And I'm, I'm with you. I'm a little bit indecisive. I mainly use Rider Waite Smith stuff and I try to keep my decks sort of parsed down, but I do have, I think six at this point, I may have given one or two away, but they do sort of build up. So I, I definitely understand how it can be more difficult to own decks because it just sort of builds, not even speaking about people with hundreds, especially if they're professional readers, it, it's definitely different. But I think that part of the reason why, like I in particular gravitate towards physical decks over digital, as great as digital is, I like that there's more of a variety with some of the artwork and the symbols that got brought out. And when it comes to digital stuff, some of it's also that I have to make sure that my technology is charged. If it's on my phone or if I'm using my computer, I have to be at my computer. I want to be able to just have the deck with me and not worry about if I'm out in the woods, which sometimes I actually am, like if I'm out camping, like if I'm out in the woods and don't have access to anything, I can always use my cards. You know, the 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 downsides of technology skew me more towards a physical deck personally, but I also just feel more connected to it, I think, energetically. I think for me, I I just, like, I think it's fine. And I've done online, like, tarot stuff before. I just... It's the same reason, like, when I play d and I hate, I, I love my group, but I hate that we use the online dice roller. Um, and even the programmer who's in the group has complained about it, too, because it's, like, the way that the specific application we use, Roll20, the way that they choose their random is, like, so skewed. It's so weird. It's, like, it takes some of the previous numbers and then recycles them, which is why 
if you've ever played D&D using Rule 20, you'll often find the same rules come up and up again and again. It's because that's how they chose to make random. So for me, I struggle a lot when I don't know how the company decided random. So randomness, uh, one of the first things that I was like taught in new media with like caveats in it is that it's impossible to program true randomness. Now, this is not actually true. Uh, you can program true randomness. However, you don't, it requires like a lot of, a lot of things that a lot of people don't have in like their generic your laptop true randomness is kind of like true squares that when things are designed using a true square it doesn't feel random steve jobs and i forget what computer it was but it was like the one he made either right before or like when he left apple for a little bit he didn't make it a true square because if it actually was like a 90 degree 90 degree angle it wouldn't look like a square to our eyes so he actually made it like a little offset same thing is the same case with true random true randomness is not found in nature i think radioactive decay is truly random that's the one thing that they use but other than that yeah you're right it's quite um rare yeah but yeah so other than radioactive decay true randomness is is impossible so then again that's where i get into the issue of like these are human-made algorithms with divination and so then i get hung up on the well, did they calculate randomness by choosing a series of numbers and having them all in equal amount of times? And what is the code that is picking the number? Uh, because all of that will decide what is chosen, which is why, again, I get like annoyed with like online dice rollers because I'm not sure how their randomness is created. So for me, that's, what, that's why I choose physical because I get into these headspaces of like, ah, but what is random? But they're definitely like, they work i just think when algorithms are involved especially algorithms are made by people and so the person kind of decides what the bias is even if it's subconsciously so when it comes to divination astrology is something that is included but the way that astrology is used in terms of technology is very different from tarot apps now granted there are things that try to use predictive things based on all the complicated ways that all the stars go together I firmly believe that you won't ever be able to get a true, accurate, in-depth reading from a program like you could from an astrologer who is a human person who can do the reading for you. But when it comes to the actual programs themselves, like Time Nomad, Astro Seek, um, you know, all those things, they're basically just generating the chart for you and it's drawing it millions of times faster than you could ever do it on paper and the way that most of them work is that they pull from the ephemeris wherever they're pulling the ephemeris from and calculating everything for you rapidly as you know because technology can do things so much faster and it's just pulling that information for you to then look at it's just generating a picture based on calculations of where all the stars are going to be because we know where they're all going to be at most things don't attempt to give you sort of predictive things or descriptors of what planet in sign and house means. There are things out there. Uh, Cafe Astrology does it. Oh boy, I don't remember what the other one is. The one that's not on iPhones. I use Time Nomad. The other um, one. I think Astro Future does it. Yeah, so I think Astro Future does some of that too. So you can get like some, but it will change based on what tradition you use and what way you're reading and what Uh, things that you have experienced with the planets yourselves so i don't think that when it comes to astrology because that is so much more complicated in so many different ways compared i think compared to things like tarot it's much harder to be able to truly do 
divination style work with it like you would as a trained astrologer but the programs I find are way more useful because I don't want to draw up charts for all of this I have a beautiful program that I paid a lot of money for uh and it helps me to keep all these charts together. I can calculate anything at any time. It does special stuff like zodiacal releasing. It calculates planetary days and hours for me, which things are in detriment and in good standing and all that stuff. It's very useful to have that technology to just throw that information up on screens that you can just focus on the work of interpretation. And I do think that, like, even because, like, Nike, we've had, like, um, astrology chart readings before, and like the way Nike explained things to me, like their interpretation of it made like a thousand times more sense than the interpretation that like Astro Future gave me. And I was like, what? So yeah, I do think that having a person there to interpret is really, really useful. And it does far more than like the app can, the app could ever really suggest to you because it can't dissect the nuances that need to be included when we're actually talking about like people and how their charts kind of influence day-to-day life you could argue as well that it would be good for accessibility as well like uh, there are certain people who don't have the time or the energy to sit down and actually draw out a chart but it makes it a lot more accessible to people to actually be able to just put the details in and actually focus on the learning and not focus on the uh, the tedium of sketching so yeah I, I basically think that there I mean this can also feed into our next thing about misconceptions um, I think there's so much possibility for tech magic. I think it's so underutilized and so unexplored. It goes beyond emoji spells and digital altars and e-shrines, which are all fine, fine and good. But like, there's some crazy things that you could do with technology. Like one of the projects that I worked on when uh, I was a senior in college was this thing where we were using GSR, which is galvanized skin response, which is used, at least it was used in light detectors. It measures like tension on your skin. We were using that to like light up different lights. So like depending on your stress level or what you were feeling or what you were thinking would light up different things. I don't exactly know how to explain that, but it, it would like measure the the tension on your skin and, and change. There was also another project of someone who someone who visited presented to us that was using some sort of brainwave device. I wish I knew the name of it, but I'm really not good with those. It was a, a, a newfangled thing. And it was this device that went around sort of your, your forehead and your temples, and it was supposed to like be lifting up the world. So we would sit there and it would sort of measure the activity of your brainwave. And the goal was to be relaxed and to get into a meditative state. And as soon as you hit the right threshold of like relaxation, it would shoot an air jet and lift up this like beach ball that was the world, had like the world on it. So it was really interesting because it was very much training your brain to reach this level of relaxation in this very counterintuitive way. Uh, my professor actually had a project called Simmer Down. I think it was like Simmer Down Jogger or something. And it was like an arcade machine. But instead of having something that you were doing, two people were sitting in this chair and having their fingers on, I think, some sort of GSR device. Something was measuring their brain activity and other sorts of movement. And whoever was the most relaxed would win because their character would start going faster on the screen. So I think there's like a lot of fun, unexplored opportunities for things like that. Um, I mean, there's ways that you can change music based on how you move your fingers, for example, like finger pianos. There's, I feel like there's so much possibility for tech magic that is so underutilized and unexplored. Yeah. So does anybody have examples of how they use tech magic in like their practice? I don't really do magic magic with it. Uh, aside from astrology programs, it's mostly just 
useful tools to help with other things like digital grimoires and being able to have books as a digital item versus a physical item. I don't really do much magic magic with it. Yeah, I'm the same. I will say, like, I'm going to sound like a major salesperson here, but if you can get an Apple Watch, that has been the most useful thing for remembering the moon phase because it is right here on my wrist at all times. <laughs> um, so, And also, yeah, I mentioned that I use divination uh, tools quite a lot online um, just for convenience, really. Um, but I haven't explored using it in a more mystical way purely because I'm a filthy bioinformatician and my coding is probably not at that stage yet. <laughs> I don't really use it on like a day-to-day basis. I, I will say that ever since we had that shower thoughts episode and we mentioned having a sigil on your phone screen, I actually did do that. <laughs> it's been interesting. I won't go into it right now because we're still kind of in the trial period, but it's been interesting. And I do a lot more with like recording certain things. So like I'll like recite the Orvik hymns um, during a ritual and like I'll listen back to it. Or I have mantras that I've recorded that sometimes I'll just play on repeat um, during meditation. It's so it's usually more recording things than playing them back in the appropriate times or places if I need to, you know, help getting into a particular state. But other than that, I don't really use a lot in my practice. Um, I do use like a keyboard piano, which I guess you could say is technology to like play certain scales associated with planets and stuff. But again, that's not really like what I think of when I think of tech magic. But that's pretty much the extent of what I use in my practice. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the limitations and misconceptions surrounding tech magic. Nike, you have one that you want to talk about real bad. <laughs> I sure do. So I hear this one a lot, and I I don't fully agree or disagree, but it is a point to bring up. So there's there's this idea that you cannot be spiritual, you cannot be magical, you will not have access to your magical gifts and abilities if you are around technology at all, and this includes just like being in cities around cell towers. I think it's kind of a bullshit idea to say that if you're in a city, you can't do magic because there's technology around. It usually gets into some of those new age ideas of like the the electromagnetic waves are gonna stop your cranial frontal cortex, whatever it is, the pineal, it'll calcify your pineal gland and all that like weird shit. It's stupid for a lot of reasons but I think there is merit to some of it and it's more to do with not being able to quiet your mind around noise bad smells especially if you're in a city that's not super well maintained if you are struggling to disconnect from social media it's more that you're not able to be present with yourself for other factors that could still happen out in the woods But there is some merit to like getting away on a hike or getting back to nature because we do suggest going for walks, getting out into nature, touching literally touching grass physically, not just as in calm yourself down. There, there's merit to some of it, but that misconception that you can't use technology because it won't work and it will stunt you feels very similar to if you have a cell phone in your pocket, you'll get cancer. It feels like that similar kind of logic. Yeah, I completely agree. And I wanted to touch on this in paganism as well. Actually, I I wanted to get Fel's opinion on it. Um, But I think a lot of paganism that is earth-based tends to um, degrade technology or deride technology because, um, you know, there's this focus on like earth spirits and connecting to the land. And I think all of that is very valid. However, um, not all paganism is that earth-based. I think Hellenism, for example, 
I wouldn't say it's it's technologically based, but it did connect much more to kind of civilization and um, the people. And that's something that's really neglected. Like not all paganism is like that. And actually people have been using technology for thousands of years. It's it's not just a completely new thing. And it's something that we as a species have been incorporating into spirituality for a really long time. So there's no way that technology makes your practice invalid. It's interesting you bring that up that like certain paradigms aren't necessarily earth-based yeah i don't think hellenism is inherently earth-based especially since like a lot of what we have records of was practiced by like rich athenian senators who were not doing anything in the earth (laughs) they weren't doing any of their work yeah in terms of of technology interrupting your practice i personally do not like to bring my cell phone into a ritual space if i have like really created a a space just because it's mere presence is distracting to me i'll like think of it and i'll be like oh what if i looked up this thing for this ritual and i'm like no stop put it away and i i will tend to write down like orphic hymns for example um or print them out because i i also don't like the way that the blue light sort of physically is interacting with me i'm just like oh like i'm very sensitive to migraine so i can like kind of feel like this light is like boring into my eyes um and there's like so many things going on in your computer screen even if you just have your window up because you can see like the time or you can see the different tabs you have up and i suppose you can make your computer full screen but like you know your brain your brain knows that your computer is full of this it's kind of like how people there's like the saying of like don't like do work in your bedroom which i say as i'm in my bedroom but it's like something to do with like habits and signaling to your body that this is the place for sleep and relaxation versus this is a place for work. So I think that that can extend to do your magical practice and technology. But again, yeah, like I live in a city. <laughs> you like, no, technology is not going to like, it's not like my computer is like uh, gaining power from my magic and diverting it. Although that would be kind of, cr- that would be wild. I think that this idea that maybe some, like Kenny brought up um, a lot of like earth-based pagan religions have about technology being bad and being an distraction. Like even outside when you're in the woods, there are plenty of distractions. So it's it's not a matter of the distraction really being an issue in my mind because like distractions exist everywhere. And I think it's ignorant to say that like, oh, just because it's technology, it's not useful and it's a distraction. But if it's nature-based, it's like totally fine. There aren't distractions because that's not true. I do think that like per- personally, in my opinion, in my practice, like I really try not to have technology around when I'm doing any kind of ritual just because I do personally find it distracting and much like that I print things off or I write them down ahead of time just to make it more like organic in nature but like I don't think using technology is a bad thing to do in your ritual like if that's first of all that's all that you can do because of whatever reason like by all means I'd rather you use technology and like do the ritual than not and not do it at all and that's totally valid and you will probably still get results from it you know if you're if you've actually put in the effort and time into into doing it. But I do think there is something to be said about technology being a distraction and like makes it more difficult to quiet your mind. And technology has kind of wired us all to constantly be checking things and never really taking a break and being able to put things down. I mean, the most effective moments of like work and also just relaxation for me are when I put my phone in an entirely different room and I just sit down and do whatever I need to do. And like when I go for walks, I don't take my phone with me because it's a distraction and I want to just enjoy the moment. And I think that like definitely has merit. So like technology has a place certainly. And I don't think anybody can say that it doesn't. And then it only exists as a distraction because I think that's kind of ignorant, but I do think that it shouldn't be, everything in a ritual space because it can serve as a distraction and maybe inhibit the 
mystic experience that you might have otherwise. But just talking about distractions in the woods, I have had animals come up to me so many times. I had a badger come up to me and I was like, oh no, I have to put my incense out because <laughs> this badger is gonna inhale the smoke. I had um, some dogs come and steal my offerings. I had a fox come up to me and steal my offering. It's, it's quite a distracting place is the woods. Um, but one thing I want to say about um, technology in particular, one thing that is positive because I feel like it gets shat on a lot is community because I don't think I would have been introduced to um, the occult community if it were not for technology and um, it's been really really amazing to be able to connect with other people and have discussions with them so I think that's something that um, maybe we should appreciate a little bit more especially during um, coronavirus times when we can't be, meet up in person. I mean I literally wouldn't be here with you guys if we didn't have community. Absolutely I think yeah I mean the ability for us to form like covens online through discord I think has been a fantastic advantage of um, technology because I learned so much from being a part of these discords just in being able to engage with the practitioners I mean I, I wouldn't have met a fellow handy this podcast wouldn't even exist if we didn't have technology um, so we have a lot to be thankful for it in that way for sure all right anybody have any other final thoughts that we want to put out before we wrap up technology is cool but you know it can also be a distraction but also as a side note you mentioned like animals coming up and bothering you just as a, a small aside, it wasn't during ritual work. You ever been woken up by a bird at 5 a.m. and then it won't shut up, so it just keeps you awake? Nature is way distracting. I actually, I have a bird. This is such a random aside, but I have a bunch of plants on my windowsill, both here and also in my bedroom, and they're like a little bit more exotic in nature. So they have, they're like really bright and stuff. And there is one bird every morning at 5:30 in the morning, like without fail sits on my windowsill and just like chirps for like half hour and I'm just like great this is my morning alarm like no longer do I need my actual alarm the bird is my alarm also if you've ever done a, a ritual with a cat nearby cats don't respect circles they just walk right in my cat is obsessed with the space in front of my altar and he's <laughs> taken to attacking our feet recently so if I'm standing <laughs> near the altar trying to do anything he's also like oh boy foot time and he just like he has claws too so he's just like grabbing me with his claws like, go away i'm trying to do things yeah my cat sits on my altar he knocks things off he once cinched his tail and i was like oh my god Great. <laughs> yeah so uh yeah distractions are everywhere uh in terms of t uh, final thoughts get creative like I, wow now i'm thinking about sims puppets like wow i'm thinking about all the things you can do with sims alone i've heard of people creating sims temples and they dress up their sims and little chitons Ooh. um i think that's a great idea yeah i think there's there's so much room for people to get creative and like yeah look beyond the bias it go 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 wild there's so many cool things out there that you can do with technology that are fairly cheap and fairly easy to do building onto that i do think that sometimes technology is so downcast by like older practitioners but a lot of that's just because we don't really understand like i am not a tech whiz by any means of the imagination um i definitely feel like i'm on the older set of the generation where i'm like i know technology but if you ask me to do anything creative i'm like no please don't um but like all of the people in the younger generations who are super fluent with technology and know how to do all of these incredible things with it like like Phil said, be creative. They're, like you truly, like with technology, the sky is the limit. And even then, not really, because you can't measure technology by like how far away it is. And so do use the Sims, use Animal Crossing, like on your island, like make an, make your own altar space, make a temple, Minecraft, like you could build so many things. I mean, the possibilities are endless, truly. And when it comes to things like your phone, I mean, 
your phone is technically made out of crystals. Utilize that in some way. That's kind of my idea with the sigil, right? Is that the crystals in my phone are charging the sigil and they keep it because it keeps it consistently charged. And so I don't have to do anything. Um, It's just like a constant reminder. Play around with it. See what works. Don't let people's distrust or lack of like validity around tech magic prevent you from using it in really creative ways and if you find a way to do it like tell us let us know in the in our discord you know talk about it on instagram talk about it in the discord servers because it's never going to become normalized unless people you know mess around to kind of find out and then talk about their experiences if that is everything well we, we will wrap it up nike thank you so much for joining us today we really appreciate it if you have not already you can join us on discord we have our discord server i will actually link it below in the episode description this time i know i forgot last week but it was like a whole thing um so it'll be there it'll also be in last week's episode um as well i've updated that and then if you haven't already you can follow us on instagram where we post content typically related to the upcoming episodes we also will take input for our spiritual shower thought episodes. If you have suggestions that you would like us to discuss, um, we're happy to take those and insert them there. Outside of that, I think that's everything. So we'll see you next week. Have a great day, everyone. Mm-hmm.